0: Welcome to Episode 6, Snakes on a Plane. The session begins with the party waking up at the Blue Water Inn, glad for a night's nice rest. John, first to awake, makes his way down to the common room, where he sees a beautiful Romanian woman sitting at a table. She acknowledges him, but asks where all the others are. John puts together this must be Persephone again in disguise she pulls back her magical disguise revealing her red eyes red pallid skin sharp teeth long black fingernails extending faint smell of sulfur hits john's nose then she pulls the magical disguise back so john enters the main room the rest of the group begins to make their way around um Act kind of like they own the place. Draki trying to drink beer straight from the taps. Marcus demanding service. Eventually the innkeeper also awakens, comes in and gives everyone a drink and starts to cook breakfast. Persephone still asks, well, where's Von Richard? That's when the party has to say, he didn't make it. They talk about how they encountered the Vornik and the werewolf Alpha in the catacombs, and how Von Richard, sensing that the seal was broken, tore off his robes to reveal his brands, grabbing Vornik, and yells at them to get out as the castle begins to shake and collapse around them. Persephone seems to take the news in stride, but says that Von Richard isn't the kind to sacrifice himself. Anyway, she says that the party is wanted back at the monastery in Nard, Taking this as a sufficient report, she gets up and starts to walk out. John says, ah, uh, there is something else, and pulls out the closet in a sack. She looks at it interested, and as she places her hand on John's shoulder, he is cured of lycanthropy. You can feel the rage receding from him. She notes that Azrak probably is happier with his curse. And she turns to go. As she passes over the threshold, she disappears. The group decides to finish breakfast, get on a train, and ride the eight hours back to Serbia. And so they make their way to the monastery. They gather around the map room with Ralph and Persephone, and Ralph asks for an update. The group talks about Von Richard's death and the seal breaking. This seems to set Ralph off. Sent them out. and begins to berate the party for their failure. He even at one point accuses them of killing Bon Richard. During this tirade, a man dressed in uh, robes, of the cardinal of the triad, steps in and chastises Ralph, an Italian. Ralph seems not, hap- not too happy about this, but willingly acquiesces, turns, and stomps off angrily. And the cardinal introduces himself Cardinal Alfonso Roberto Teresa e Giuseppe Morghetti. Cardinal Morghetti. Talk to the party with a warm and welcoming tone, asks about all the details of the events that have happened thus far. That's when John pulls out the sack with the closet and sets it on the table. Immediately, Cardinal Morghetti's demeanor changes, and you hear him begin to chant while radiant energy begins to pour off of him. The closet, screaming in pain and terror, squirming in the sack. John tries to pull the sack away, while Marcus steps over and flaps the cardinal. Trying to break his concentration for the spell. But the Quasit disappears. Cardinal grabs Marcus's hand. Your presence is tolerated because you were chosen by my kill, but that demon is not welcome in the house of Ilmatir. Cardinal's not happy with the presence of a demon in his monastery. So at this time, that Reardon, who's brooding in a corner, starts making loud noises like a four year old. Trying to act like they don't want to be seen, but wants someone to come over and talk to him. And so Marcus steps over and asks him what is wrong. Rudin relates I don't trust the cardinal. Marcus agrees No, you don't understand. Aelmatyr is a broken god, a god dedicated to protecting weakness. Does the cardinal look weak? Well, Marcus shares his suspicion of the cardinal, I think it's grounded in something else. The Calder goes and identifies several of the party's items, including a lamp revealing, braces of the fence, and he starts relating what is the events that are going on in the world. He says that there have been reports of commoners, regular people seeing elves, something must be going on to drive them out. He also reports about demons, Reports coming from their sister branch of the church of Lathander and Sedan. Talks about how their church, their contact up in RMB in Norway, has been lost and they're uncertain about what's happening. He also relates their unusual storms that have disrupted trade in the North Sea between North America and Europe. He talks about social disruptions in Poland, Lithuania, from a Thaddeus Kazusko, a war Uh, veteran from America, coming back to his home, causing trouble. He also says that demons have reported in Nagano, Japan. At the end of this, he turns to step away, feeling like his his work is otherwise done. And the group begins to decide what they want to do. Persephone says that she's interested in going to this Polish Lithuania to talk to this Thaddeus Kazusko. Sounds like fun. She wants to dress up and go to court. Unsure of their own choice, the party talks to Reardon Reardon says that he's indifferent. He flips the coin that Marcus used as his one copper payment, and it spins on the table, spinning and spinning. Eventually it comes to rest in Sudan. And so the party decides, this must be the will of my keel. So they leave the monastery, and they go back to the baron's manor. They set Bearden up with the task of, you know, rebuilding the administration for the barony. They give him about 100 gold pieces. John gives him the the electron that he had gotten, and Marcus hands him his scimitar, worth about 25 gold. Reardon says it should be sufficient for him to be able to start getting things underway. Marcus, before he leaves said, I expect results, Reardon. Before the party left, um, the monastery though, Persephone had given them a few magic items. First, she gave a token of light to Eloran. It's a token that casts bright light tied to the end of a weapon. Creatures with dark vision or undead are distracted by the light and you have advantage on attacks. She also gives a token of thunder to put on Azorak's maul. It causes extra thunder damage and the potential to stun the opponent. She also has a shield that protects against arrows. And she gives a pair of boots that Azrak takes. It allows him to switch places with some willing person. She also gives John a shield. The shields act as batons until they become activated, and then a, a magical force unravels to reveal the shield. After completing their business in Serbia, the party make their way to Cairo, which takes roughly 10 days, and they meet up with Kasim, a member of the Order of Mykiel but a worshipper of Lathander. He takes the group up the Nile. There are a few complications, and it slows the group down roughly a week, which means that it puts them uh, at the edge of the Nile, where they then depart roughly 30 days after they left. They have to travel for a few more days. Now the clock is ticking, seven days until sundown. And they arrive just a few hours outside the village of Tokar. This is where demons have been attacking the priests. Kasim gives them a rundown and says that they should talk to the most important man of the village, Manik, the leader of the village of Tokar. But he said the man is quite distrustful of the English Acknowledging that John and Marcus are both British. And given the, cur- the current treatment of the Sudanese by the British crown, I think it's reasonable. Because he also says they're more than welcome to use his name, though he doesn't have much sway with Manique. And then he departs. And so the party enter the village. As they walk, soon they see the villagers kind of scattering away from them. Monique and three young men, strong, approach the group. Monique, an older man in his 40s, welcomes. And says, welcome to the children of the hills and the war breed who are always welcome in the village of Tokar. But the English are not welcome here. So, Eloran and Azrak he takes to his home, while the others remain just on the edge of town, the guards keeping an eye on them. While in Monique's home, Eloran and Azrak explain their business, looking for the demons. Monique agrees to help them and says that he's certainly willing to help, but he doesn't think that there's a problem. But he says that he will take a guide, have one of his men take them to where the reports of the demon attacks have been. He generally seems indifferent to any affairs beyond his village. While waiting, Marcus attempts to convince the guards to let them pass. Despite his powerful skills at persuasion, it's a task that required extra planar intervention. Marcus, not getting any, then decides to magically hold two of them, knock the third out almost instantly, and then knocks the other two out in turn. The party then hide the unconscious men near the river in the bushes. Gus decides to stay with them, while Drackey and John go due north, heading towards the tannery at the edge of the river. While they search inside, it seems like a regular tannery, but they find a note written in a strange language they can't read. Knowing that Gus can read anything, they decide they'll head back. Marcus decides to go to the large building, the church. If it's priests that have been attacked, maybe he can get answers there. Inside, he sees a priest praying for forgiveness. He asks the priest what's going on in his condescending tone. The priest relates a story about how he was walking with his traveling companions, about how he had to turn and stop for a second and his companions walked on ahead of him. And that was when he heard the attack. Large snakes with the arms of men came out of nowhere and slaughtered his foes. He hid in a bush immediately, cowardly, praying for forgiveness for his cowardice. Marcus tells him he should pray for forgiveness, but that his God will not help him. And decides he's going to head back, confirming that the mountains is where the priests have been attacked. And so the four party members decide that they're going to leave the unconscious guards um, hidden and ask us to read the note. The note says, the plan is working. Keep bringing offerings to the hills. And so the party, uh, John, Draki, and Gus are standing at the edge of town alone. Azrak and uh, Eloran come with the one guard, Habib, uh, Monique's man. Habib doesn't seem too distressed by the four men standing still at the edge of town, though Azrak wonders where the guards might be, but knows better than to ask. As they're walking towards the hills, they start asking Habib questions, asking about who Manik is and what are all of the, the things in town. He relates that Manik owns everything. He owns the mill. He owns the tannery. He owns the market. They ask him more about the tannery, and says, "Well, Jabur, he works the tannery day to day. Manik doesn't go there very often, but it is owned by Manik." He walks. Uh, Habib walks the party into the foothills when suddenly they're attacked by three large snakes with human arms and three men with snake heads. These Yuan-Ti pull forward and attack the party. One of them, the large snake, wriggles around Habib, crushing him to death, not, well, crushing him unconscious, and then continues to attack the party. The party try and fight back. Drakki presses forward, tries to act like a tank. One of the big Yuan-Ti slash at him, doing a lot of damage. Tanking is not exactly Draki's strong suit. So Gus transforms into his white dragon, wormling, flying over, attempting to spray with his breath. He ends up using a paralysis breath on two of the big snakes and is able to paralyze them. With this opportunity, John is able to pull out his rapier and slash downwards, crushing the skull of the snake. Meanwhile, Draki uses his mind knife to slice the head off of another of the big snakes. And Azarac takes his large thunder maul, smashing it on the head of the snake. As he is attacking with his maul, he's stunning almost all every, uh, every foe with every hit. Then John slips over and decapac- er, decapitates one of the snake-headed men. Gus, in his wormling form, bites the head off of another of the wormling men. Azrak ends up bludgeoning the last snake-headed man to death. They revive Habib, and darkness is setting in, so they decide it's about time for them to go to sleep for the night. When they wake up, it'll be six days until the full moon. (laughs) ¶¶ Now it's time for DM's thoughts. So I thought that the session went okay, though I would say I don't think it was one of my better sessions. Uh, I I had planned out a lot of social interactions, and I think some of the dramatic moments in the first uh, part were really awesome, and I thought I did a pretty good job with it. I spent some time kind of thinking through some of the dramatic flares. Uh, I... Did a good job, I think, of setting up um, kind of directing the party's attitudes for many of the NPCs. Uh, And I'm feeling pretty comfortable that the party has developed a certain set of attitudes towards kind of the major NPCs, the recurring NPCs. And I think those are probably the right attitudes they should have. And it will be really helpful um, for them. Um, so I think that was actually really good uh, I guess a random aside prior to the session I found that everyone decided to listen to the podcast a bunch so now, now i got to be maybe a little more conservative with what I say here in the DM's thoughts because apparently everyone's listening um, but I, I thought it was all overall pretty good it went much faster than I thought though so it only took about an hour to do all of this social interaction and then they had made a decision about where they wanted to go um, they ended up asking Reardon, which, you know, creates a an interesting situation because I wanted them to be able to choose, right? It's like a message board, you know, you pull, pull the thing you really want and go do that. So I just rolled a d6 and it just happened to come up with a 2, 2 being Sudan. So that's why I said Reardon's coin flips and falls on Sudan. So it made it even seem more random. Uh, but I think that almost gave it then an air of uh, intervention, right? The coin was flipped at random, but it chose to go to Sudan. I don't know. Well, regardless, I think it's fine. I do think it's really interesting that the party is super suspicious of cardinal because they were, he was unwilling to torture and kill the Quazit and immediately banished it. Right? They have a, a priest, a cleric to Ilmatir who sees a demon in his monastery, and his first reaction is to banish it to another realm. And the party's like, that's suspicious. I don't know. I thought that would be the thing that wouldn't make him super suspicious, but I overall wanted them to have some level of suspicion about him, so this works. Um... I also thought they were going to ask the cardinal if he could have more stuff. Right? He's talking about stuff, and he says he's willing to give them help. They didn't quite, I guess, pick up on it, so I should be better about the way in which I frame some of these open-ended um, questions, and I decided I didn't want to like withhold magic items that I thought might be good for them to have, so I just gave it to them. I'm also implementing something that's a little new, these these tokens. So adding in some minor magical effects to some of their weapons, because I don't want to Change their weapon, but I do want to kind of upgrade their weapon to some extent. Um, and so we'll see how that goes. I also have to now start thinking about and managing the uh, attunement economy. I haven't really thought too deeply into that, uh, but we have several people that now have multiple magic items. Um, you know, Draki has the lamp, which he needed to attune to, and he's got a, sh- a magic shield, the shield of missile defense. So he's got two, he really only has a slot for another one. Maybe I'll just break the attunement economy and have them have more magic items. Uh, Either artificially just raise it some number like five or um, maybe just break it all together and say, yeah, sure, you can have like 37 magic items. You find the coolest magic items, you get it. Um, I think the intent of the three limit is that you only have the best and you have to kind of think through that. so I'll have to kind of think about how I feel about that. Uh, I did upload a couple of maps to uh, for them for Sudan. I wasn't super happy with it. And I forgot to upload a random desert map. So the snake fight happened once again in the one random woods. I, I'm assuming that I'm just going to make that my default fight site when they're out in the wild. It's just going to be, and here's the woods. Um, so that may turn into a fun running joke throughout the campaign. Um, we also spent some time setting up, and I thought this would, um, you know, take more time. I, I think I directed everyone to kind of think about it offline, which is good because I didn't want to bog everyone down. But we're going to start trying to do the Strongholds and followers. So Reardon is a Chamberlain follower. Uh, I made him kind of an Int Charisma follower. Um, I'm going to have him add some kind of benefit Um his i gave him some things that he can do it's kind of a little magic-y but let's say magic diplomat it's kind of a thought uh and i gotta think through how well he's going to be able to set up and start running the uh barony um so we got to work through that they also haven't chosen what kind of stronghold they want whether they want a keep a library a tower or an establishment and then within that kind of how they're flavoring it with a party um you know, with a class in particular. Uh, It may make the most sense for it to kind of be a warlock thing, but then they have multiple patrons um, or really uh, they'll probably end up just building an establishment. So we'll see. Um, I also mentioned that they could theoretically set a stronghold up in um, Cluj, Napoco um, in Romania, but that the castle that was there, right, it's still there. There's just, like, monsters. So you are going to have to go clear it out in order to claim it, whereas the Baron's Manor is completely open. It doesn't seem like there's any long lines for people to take over the barony. Um, so um, I hadn't thought through most of the village uh, until I kind of got there. So I, I wonder if it actually came across well or if it kind of came across poorly. I feel like the social interaction between um, Eloran, Azract and Monique wasn't as good as I wanted it to be. Uh, I know that Ted and Mike do not like the social encounters as much, so I try not to force it on them, um, but I think it was maybe good for them to kind of step out a little bit, um, kind of a low-stakes way. Uh, and have some social interaction. Um, I I also had Sam get upset because he rolled a twenty on his persuasion check for the two guards. But I don't feel like it's reasonable for you to persuade two guards who are supposed to keep someone out of town, direct orders from their boss man, that that's what they should do when he's a English guy in Sudan and they're like in a village in Sudan that's not exactly friendly with the British. So. It didn't make sense to me that he would be able to persuade. So I just set the check at 30. They got a 27, which is really good. Um, but I kind of was like, if, if he would have spent his boon, right, and tapped into the, the will of force of Asmodius, I think that would have been a reasonable um, thing that could have persuaded them. Uh, and maybe I could have set the intimidation check lower, Um, but they ended up not actually trying to do intimidation. I think Marcus was trying to make it quiet and quick. So he knocked them out and drug them away. And I I kind of said, okay, well, I'll just let it be quiet and quick and let them run around. Um, But that does mean that, like, again, I hadn't thought much about the tannery and and how we would set up. I kind of knew where the final, you know, part of this chapter is going to take place. And I guess we're going to get there faster, but, I had build this one as the go kill demons. It's like not complicated. They're demons in a fortress, go kill them. So I've got the map for the fortress and I'm taking an existing module that I have to be able to kind of cheat um, for that. So that should be overall kind of easy. So yeah, overall it was a good session. I think that I'm more critical of the way I behaved in the second half of the session just because there's a lot more delay and there's a lot more miscommunication between me and the party. Uh, I feel much better when the party feels like they have a purpose and they're focused and they're directed. And they get a little more enjoyment when they're doing that than when they're kind of floundering and trying to figure stuff out. Well, it's been the DM's thoughts. So I appreciate you listening. And take care.